0: Let me get into the Word this morning, and um, you know, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you come from a what we call a high church tradition or a liturgical church background? Um, I'm talking about a Catholic background, a Lutheran background, Anglican background. Wave at me if you come from high church liturgical background. Amen. It was interesting. Lots of hands going up. I'd, I'd say probably at least 25 to 40 percent of first service uh, was, was, was all raised in their hands. So how many of you, if you raised your hand, are familiar with, with what's called Lent? All right. Now some of you say, well, Pastor, when we came to this church, how come we don't hear much about Lent? Well, there's a high church calendar, and some churches follow the religious calendar throughout the year. Let me just tell you, this church was formed in my mom and dad's living room, and their desire was to create an environment where people felt like they were part of a family. Do you feel that when you come here? Yes. All right, good. That's what we're at. And so some people have said, Pastor, how come there's no crosses in the building? Well, we're, let me just tell you, we're not anti-crosses. Everything about this ministry is centered around what Jesus did on the cross, all right? but we just don't have any on the walls, or we don't have any, any stained glass, or any, we're not against any of that stuff, just so you know. I'm ha- we're happy. We're not mad. We're not against any of that, all right? Um, but sometimes I don't talk about Lent because uh, it's just not part of our normal calendar. It's not something that, that we emphasize in that way. But how many of you know the spirit of Lent and the Lenten season is very, very important? And I was thinking as we talk about lifelines this is, I think, our, our seventh or eighth week on Lifelines. I wanted to put the whole Lenten season in context, and I want to give you—and this is something that should perk your ears up this morning—I want to give you a biblical lifeline that is designed to to destroy your greatest enemy. Anybody interested in that? The lifeline I'm going to give you is specifically suited, specifically designed to kill and destroy the greatest enemy that is assigned to your life, to destroy your life. This should, this should wake us all up. But before we get to that part, I want to lay some track this morning. You know, the word Lent literally means spring. And it's pointing to something that's coming 40 days from Lent. I think Lent officially started on Wednesday. Uh, it's 40 days leading up to the greatest event in human history. How many of you know the birth of Jesus is great, but it's incomplete? It's, it was the start it's the resurrection of christ which upon which our entire faith hinges if jesus is not risen Our faith is futile. So how many of you know the resurrection is huge and the purpose of Lent or spring or 40 days of focus on what's coming is to prepare our hearts to properly celebrate Jesus as Lord and King. Now I realize it doesn't feel much like springtime. We just got our latest batch of snow. It's been gray. It's been dreary. And it will continue to be so as long as the favor of God is falling on Pastor Dick Basta and answering his (laughs) prayers. All right? So you might as well just have fun. But how many of you know, the reason I love, you know, I got, we got a new friend here from San Diego. I was, I was razzing him before the service. You know, San Diego's boring. <laughs> San Diego has, has one season, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to live there? You see, here, here's my point. If you don't have four seasons, then when spring hits, you didn't even know it hit because it's just beautiful all the time where you live. But see, we move out of spring. Andy, come on, shout hallelujah when I get to the best point, all right? Help me out. Andy's, Andy's a landscape guy. When spring starts to get close, and it's getting closer, we're gonna hit some 50 degrees this week, all right? We might, we might have some crocuses that just pop their heads out like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Because when the, when the bulbs start coming up and the trees start blossoming and blooming in my heart, I'm like, hallelujah, spring is here. And I would not be saying hallelujah if I was not miserable like you, all right? (laughs) But we're moving out of one season into another season, and there's something exciting about that. The purpose of Lent is to tell you it's dark and dreary, but the one who raised from the dead has the power to resurrect dead things, which means there's hope for all of us that Jesus Christ can change us and transform us. That's the purpose behind Lent. It's to get you and I ready properly on the inside, to celebrate Jesus, and to get more of Jesus. And so, I want to talk about a lifeline today that really leads us into a practice of of biblical self-denial with the purpose of sharpening our affections for Jesus. How many of you know there should be nothing we do that's, quote, religious that doesn't serve the purpose of causing our passion for God to increase? And let me just give you an example while, while I'm on this. How many of you, let's take baptism for instance, Some of you were raised in church cultures where baptism was a big deal, Um, but depending on whatever age you did that or whatever experience it was, this is what they taught you. As soon as you're baptized, you're good to go. It didn't matter if you lived like the devil. It didn't matter if you had no idea what was going on. It didn't matter if there was not one ounce of faith in Jesus or passion for God in your heart. As long as you got wet, baptized, you're good. I mean, you know, that's not true. If there's no faith in the act, then you just took a bath. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just trying to be real. If there's no faith in the act, there's nothing magical about getting water put on you, even if it's done by a, quote, religious person. There's nothing magical there. Baptism is you understanding that you have been buried with Christ and risen again, and it is a public identification of you following Jesus and surrendering your life to Him, so that everybody in the room can see. It means you're not ashamed of the gospel. Let me show you something else. Some of you maybe grew up in traditions where on on, uh, uh, on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, you had a, the mark of a cross put on your head with ashes. Again, there is nothing the matter with prophetic symbolism. Baptism is a symbol. Communion is a symbol. An ashen cross on your forehead could be certainly a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But listen, if there's no faith and no relationship with God, all you got was a dirty forehead. Because here's what Jesus taught. It's not the external stuff that matters. It's the internal transformation of the heart. And there are external things that can happen that serve to transform us on the inside. But Jesus isn't interested. He never has been interested in outer expressions of religion that don't do anything to awaken our hearts for him. He is concerned about what's going on on the inside of our lives. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to the scripture and I'll show you. Turn with me. And, I, and again, I've got it on your notes, but not on my notes. There we go, Matthew 23. And I want to read a couple of verses there. This is Jesus speaking. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you pastors, you clergy, you priests. I'm putting it in our terminology. He calls them hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, look what Jesus says. First, wash the inside of the cup in the dish, and then the outside of the cup will become clean too. You know, it's amazing to me in religious settings, and we're all guilty of this. We're all, let me just say this. Some people say, well, I'm not religious. Oh, yes, you are. Every single person is religious by nature. What do you mean by that? Well, we're always trying to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others. We're always trying to put on the best show. We're always trying to make others think we got it all together. We're always wanting to look nice and clean on the outside, but the Lord says, I don't care about the outside. I see the inside. And look at what he said here. He said, On the inside, you are full of greed, he says, and self-indulgence. In other words, what is self-indulgence? It's it's the desire to please yourself at any cost. Please me, 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 me. I love what Ed said about the success in their marriage. How many of you know the problem with marriages is you have two selfish people who, if they stay self-indulgent, they will end up destroying each other, and they'll end up destroying that relationship. Self-indulgence will kill you. What is greed? It's the continual lust for more. It means you're never satisfied. It means no matter what the person does, it's not good enough. It means no matter how much you make, it's not good enough. It means if it's 50 degrees on Wednesday, you're going to complain because it's not 70 degrees on Wednesday. You're never happy. You're never, it's never enough. You're greedy on the inside, and you want what you want when you want it, how often as you want it, uh, at the time that you want it. Uh, that's greed. That's self-indulgence. Jesus says, that's what I see. But on the outside, these guys were trying to look good. Jesus is after self-denial. Look at, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23 with me. Jesus said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now I'm going to connect the dots here. I said that this message was about attacking your greatest enemy. And now i got to deliver the bad news to you. Who is your greatest enemy? You are your greatest enemy you are your greatest enemy. You are the one that you have to deal with. Am I speaking to the right crowd? I am my greatest enemy. I know it, because I know what's in my heart, just like you know what's in your heart. Jesus said, if you will not deny yourself, if you will not take up your cross personally, meaning your instrument of death, death to what? Death to yourself, death to selfishness, death to your old life, Death to your old ways of thinking. If you will not take up that cross, you cannot follow me, which means you can't be religious and not have internal transformation and be a follower of Jesus Christ. It can't happen. The cross will kill everything that fights against the lordship of Jesus in your heart. That's the nature of the cross. And Jesus said, unless you're willing to deny you, stop being selfish. Stop living for what you want. Get outside of your world. Start living for other people. Start living for the glory of God. If you cannot do that, he says, you can't follow me. And so those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. It should be on the screen for you. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So look what Paul says. I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not playing around boxing shadows. I'm fighting a real enemy. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified myself. In other words, after me standing up here preaching the gospel to you, if I don't discipline me and don't lead me and don't take care of me, the day will come when I'll be preaching one thing and being disqualified because I'm not living what I'm preaching. What a tragedy. How many of you know that, by the way, the devil loves that? He loves that the bigger the mouth, the greater the fall. The bigger the mouth, the greater the fall. The bigger the platform. He loves to pull the rug out, doesn't he? So that leaders can be a public you know, laughing stock, so that the church can get a black eye. But there's a different black eye. I want to show you this in this verse. This is amazing. The literal translation of verse 27 in the Greek is this. Paul says, I give my body a black eye. And I make it my slave. What does he mean? This is so good. Have you ever had your flesh throw a pity party? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul says, "Shut up!" Bam. Punch, punch your flesh in the face to where your eyes swollen, and say, "Shut up! You're not in charge of my life." Pastor, who are you talking to? It's my spirit, man, talking to my flesh. I just shut it up. I just reminded it, it's not in charge. You know how to do this, because your mom or dad gave you this speech before when you were little. Hopefully they didn't punch you. I'm not suggesting that, but I've had a lecture or two where my parents let me know nicely, excuse me, you're not in charge. You're eight years old. Shut up. No, they didn't say that, but you get the point. You get the point. Paul says, and anybody anybody in this room that's ever trained, you work out hard, you get up the next morning, your body is killing you, and your coach is saying, see at practice, and you're like, you gotta be kidding. Because your flesh, listen to me, your flesh will always take the path of least resistance. Your, your flesh will never sacrifice on its own. Your flesh, will as soon as there's pain, I quit. Your flesh, if, there's, if it's an uphill battle, you're not doing it. If it's downhill, that's cool. If you can, if you can be as lazy, and, and am, I ta- am I talking to the right crowd? I'm talking to you about spiritual disciplines, and the Lord just said to me about at week seven or eight now into this flesh, and he said, you know what? If you don't deal with people's flesh, you're just preaching to the wind. Get up early and read your Bible. The alarm goes off. What did Pastor say? <laughs> you ain't getting out of bed. You know why? Because you're carnal. Yeah. I'm, I am too, by the way. I'm not pointing my finger. Hey, let's make time to pray. Oh, man, I'm little old busybody me. I don't get any time. Yeah, because your life's all full of you. You're selfish. You won't pray. Let's meditate on the word. Are you kidding me? You don't meditate on anything you're just an action figure. Why? Because life's all about you. Can you see the problem here? We're not going to do anything that's good for us unless we're willing to, first of all, make some room for God. We've got to get our flesh out of the way. I just need to parenthetically say something here. Last week, I challenged you to listen to God, okay? How many of you know that I kind of set you up a little bit too because every day if you just read your Bible, you'll hear God's voice. People say, I never hear God's voice. Read your Bible, God is talking to you. It doesn't have to be mystical, but how many of you, I also said you're full of the Holy Spirit and if you read the Bible and you talk to God, he talks back. Now I have to warn you because I'm setting you up for great attack when I tell you that. I'm telling you that every person in this room Needs to hear God's voice. And I don't know if any of you saw what happened to Vice President Pence this week. He was on that, well, he wasn't on, but you know that crazy show with all the most left wing, wacko ladies? They all get together and share their incredible wisdom. I hope none of you are watching that because brain cells die by the second when you watch that show. Um, but Joan Bihar, Behoy or Jezebel or whatever. I don't know what it (laughs) is. She accused Vice President Pence of being mentally ill because he claims to have a personal relationship with Jesus and he hears God's voice. And Monica, I think it was on your blog. I'm going to really go off on some stuff here, okay? Because because we do have a national debate on gun control right now, in case we haven't, haven't noticed that. But this is interesting. Somebody came out with this brilliant idea, and I believe Monica pointed it out, that if you're mentally ill, you should not be able to purchase a gun. That means the vice president of the United States, who's a Christian, should not be able to own a weapon. How many of you know it's better to deal with what's going on in our hearts than make stupid laws that, to, under which every Christian who hears God's voice will now be considered mentally ill. Amen. I think I would rather have revival in America where everybody gets to hear God's voice and, and we appreciate it rather than letting some wacko lady suggest that because you have a relationship with God that you're mentally ill. But I'm telling you, you spend time with God. Spend time hearing his voice. You'll never have an appetite for God until you allow your appetite for yourself to shrink, to be slain, to be put to death. How do you do that? Pastor, how do you do that? First of all, let me, I want to go to one other passage, a couple other passages. First of all, let me know, if you ever aspire to spiritual leadership, and you all should, one of the qualifications listed is self-control. The greatest person you have to bring under discipline is you. And I just want to say this a person who's out of control has no authority to speak into anybody else's life. A person who's out of control has no authority to speak into somebody else's life. You must master yourself first. You must be mastered by the Lord first before you'll ever hope to lead. Look, check this out. Turn with me to Acts 24 25. This is the Apostle Paul given the opportunity to speak before Felix, who's the Roman governor. Felix is as pagan as they come. He doesn't know God from a hole in the ground. And Paul has an opportunity, rather, to speak to him. What would you say in that message? This is Paul's message to a pagan government official. He, now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he answered, "Uh, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Let's break this down. What was Paul's message? He talked about righteousness or holiness. He talked about self control. How many of you know pagan government officials aren't known for their self control? But then he added the exclamation point the judgment to come. I hope, as part of your discipline, you guys are thinking about what's to come. Thinking about Heaven and thinking about the new earth should be an amazing source of inspiration to you. And thinking about the shortness of life and control issues like holiness, righteousness, self control when you put eternity in perspective, it should wake you up. And and, and here's what should happen Do I really want to be controlled by this thing in light of eternity? Do I really want this to, to push Jesus out of my life in light of eternity? I mean, you know, this is just if you believe that Christ is coming, how do you believe he's coming? Okay, if, if you believe he rose from the dead, you've got to believe he's returning, right? He is going to come, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> a wicked governor, I'm going to paraphrase for you. He says, uh, I love this language, um, go away for now until a more convenient time. What he's saying is this. Your preaching is scaring the willies out of me. And that convenient time ain't going to come. Because I don't want to hear about holiness, self-control, and the judgment to come. But that's the gospel. I mean, you know, there's no holiness or self-control apart from Jesus, so we better run to the cross to get healed of whatever we need to get fixed from, or else we're all in a heap of trouble. Holiness, righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. Look with me, Philippians 3. I'm just laying some groundwork here for us. Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, I've told you often... And he's warned them about this many times. He says, I'm saying it again. How many you know it's good to repeat things? I'm saying it again with tears in my eyes. Paul is crying like a spiritual father for the people here. And this is what he says. There are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. Enemies of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Why? Here's why. Listen to this. Their God is their appetite or their belly. They brag about shameful things. And look at that last part. They think only about this life here on earth. One of the signs you've not truly come into a new relationship with God is you're so earthbound. All you think about is food, clothes, sex, partying, pleasure, work, new car. Your mind is consumed with things that are so temporary. When are you gonna think about things that are forever? When are you gonna focus on things that are forever? Look at what he says here. Your God is your belly. What does that mean? Well, the belly in the Bible refers to carnal things, fleshly things. How many of you know our flesh constantly cries out? It whines. It cries out for attention. People that live for their bellies, all they care about is their own appetite being satisfied. They want it, they want it now. They think and they boast about shameful things. We know people like this. They talk about things that are perverted. They talk about things that, are, that should bring them shame. How about Esau? He sold his birthright for a single meal. How about the children of Israel? God delivers them from Egypt after 400 years of bondage, and they're crying, give us meat, give us meat. We want a hamburger, all right? We want to go to the buffet. We want more food, 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 food. All, all they're doing is whining about the, wanting their selfish, carnal, fleshly appetites to be satisfied. So whether it's food, whether it's sexual lust or anger or resentment or self-pity or fleshly ambition or envy or moodiness, laziness, boredom, the list goes on. The Bible says we have to crucify these things daily. Paul said, put if you live he said, if you live by the dictates of your flesh, you're going to die. But if through the Spirit you put to to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you're going to live. And so some of you might be asking, Pastor, how do I do this? How many of you have ever had an addiction or a bondage in your life that was strong and had a hold of you besides your pastor? Anybody want to see some hands? Something that had you and you couldn't get free. And you say, I tried, I tried, I keep falling back, I tried, how do I get free? I'm going to give you a secret on how to get free. You're not going to like it. You're saying, Pastor, this message has not been that good this far. It's kind of depressing, and now we're, we're going to go lower. No, we're going to go higher. I'm going to give you some hope, so listen to me, please, all right? Listen to me, please. What is this lifeline to lead us to true biblical self-denial and self-control? It's found in Matthew 6. You remember last week in Matthew 6, I mentioned that there's some practices that the Lord does not suggest that we do, but they are commandments from God, one of those commands or duties is found in Matthew 6.6. 6. That's where we were last Sunday. Jesus said this, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. Y'all remember that? That means the Lord expects us to talk to him. But if you go down a few verses, we find another thing that the Lord said, when you do this, meaning he's expecting this behavior to come from his followers. Look at what verse 15 says. And when you pray. Yeah. Let me repeat that if you didn't get it. And when you fast, um, there's that cuss word there, isn't it? (laughs) Who wants to talk about the discipline of fasting? Pastor, you've taken a bad message and crashed it in the deepest abyss of Christianity. When you fast, Maybe the Lord knows something we don't know about. Because how about this? When I fast, this is what happens. I skip breakfast, and I get to mid-morning, maybe 10 o'clock. My flesh is going, I want food, and I want it now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then it gets stronger. And then it adds the echo chamber of the growls from your stomach. And then you're, you're like at work and somebody goes, was that you? They thought like you broke wind or something like that. Oh, no. You, oh, no, no, no. It was my stomach. It was my, my stomach's growling. I just have to, I got to tell a story here. Honey, can I tell our story? Okay. We did a marriage, we did a marriage thing just Friday night up at Pastor Chuck Vistoms Church, Whole Life Church. It was great. And Pastor Chuck said, you know, hey, just look, it's a, it's a relaxing night, we're gonna have some food. And he wanted Marion and I just to be fun and lighthearted. Well, you know me, I'm Mr. Fun and Lighthearted. <laughs> I mean, I am preaching about fasting and self-denial today. So if that gives you a hint, this was out of my league. I'm thinking, fun, I should have had Uncle Brent come along for this, for this message. <laughs> he could have brought the whoopee cushion, we'd have a great time. All right, anyway. So right before dinner, right after dinner, actually, or actually in the process of dinner. Marion is next to me. We're sitting with the pastor and his lovely wife. She gets overcome with a sneak up from behind sneeze. And, you know, she's got couth. She's a, she's a, she's a class act, all right? She's not going to look at the pastor's wife in the face and blow everything up. So she turns her head real quick and tries to cover her mouth and sneezes and I'm next to her. Yeah, she had a napkin, but it was not properly placed. I felt like my face got hit with a shotgun blast. And then the worst part happened. Right stuck in the middle of my forehead (laughs) is a piece of corn. Now, I don't care who you are. That is funny. And I told her, I'm like, I got to get out of here before that dries, and I have to chisel it off like with a, a Brillo pad or a sharp object. Well, guess what? After that happened, we start laughing. The whole room gets filled with the spirit of laughter. We, needless to say, we just had a great time. But I, she just blew a chunk of corn off my forehead. I'm telling you, another secret to a long marriage is laugh a lot, all right? (laughs) Laugh a lot. But I don't know where that came from. But anyway, it was good. All right. I guess I'm trying to put some levity on this. God knows that if you don't deal with the carnal strongholds in your life, they will kill you. How many of you that have dealt with addictions? Maybe it's alcohol. I'm going to go free. I'm going cold turkey. You push away the liquor. And your body starts screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. You know what I'm talking about? Get me a drink. Some of you have been addicted to drugs. Same thing. Man, I got to get high. I got to get high. Some have had sexual addictions. Some of you have had pornographic addictions. And you feel the draw pulling you back. I'm telling you, listen to me. Paul said this with tears coming down his face. Those addictions and those draws and those those, those strongholds in you will kill you. They will kill you. Paul says, I'm not boxing at the wind. I'm fighting a real enemy that will destroy me. I have to give it a black eye or it's going to give me a black eye. Let's talk about emotions. There's people with toxic emotions. What happens when you start fasting? I'll tell you what happens. You get irritated. Who do you get irritated with? Everybody. I remember fasting, and all of a sudden, my wife will ask me something, and I, and I didn't quite hear, and I, and I say, what did you say? And She'll repeat it again, and I'm like, what did you say? And then, and then you, oh, I'm sorry, hon. I'm fasting. <laughs> and there's days she'd look at me like, will you eat something? No one can live with you. <laughs> or, you or you freak out over your kids. Freak. Hey, I'm trying to be a man of God. You're, you look like some demon-possessed person. You're like, no, I'm just, I'm just angry because I'm fasting. Let me pop your bubble. You're angry because you're angry. And the reason you're angry is because you've got an anger problem. And all that fasting is doing is uncovering the lid. See, fasting, is, is, fasting shows you what's really inside of you. You take away a little food from us. No, nope. no food for you. We turn into demonized freaks. Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. You were one of, it's like invasion of the body snatcher.! You wanna kill people. All because you can't eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Are you serious? We're that pathetic. See, you take away a little food for a little time, and all of a sudden what bubbles to the surface is all the garbage inside of our lives. Any of you ever have your TV breakdown during football season? <laughs> you start having cold chills. <laughs> you might have an idol there. I don't know, just possibly. I'm just dealing with my own idols. See how here is. My wife can never make me get angry. My wife just helps show me what makes me angry. See, my wife, she told me this. We had we did this little you know get to know you exercise with couples, and you know, and confessed. Okay, I'm the one that has a hard time being on time. True, I'm the one that's passionate about being early. Can anybody anticipate a problem? So I learned in the early days of my marriage that when you're late to wherever you're going and your wife is still getting ready in the house, you do not do this, "Eh, eh, 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 eh," because that you will not live 50 years with another person, because when they come out, they will kill you in a second. I also learned, I'm getting really smart, after eight kids, I want my kids ready for school on time. In fact, I want them early to school. I'd like them to be the greeters at school. (laughs) Yo, gang, get out of the bathroom. Who's in the shower? You got five minutes. Get out of the shower. Who's still in bed? Someone's in bed? You've got to be kidding me. Someone's still in bed? And I'm, I am going, this is how I start my day. <laughs> this is psycho. All because I don't want my kids to be late from school. And so I'm sitting on in the car. I'm warming the car so their little buns are warm. I mean, I'm being a good dad. I'm waiting in the car. This is what I do now. We're going to be late, and I don't care because they're going to get a detention, and I don't care because I am not going to sit in this car and have a stroke <laughs> over people. So I, I turn on Christian music. I don't care. They're going to figure out at some point, if you don't show up to work on time, you don't show up other places on time, you're going to lose. I'm happy. (laughs) I tried to teach you. Is this making sense? My point is this. I can't say these kids are stressing me out. No, they're not. You're stressing out because you got a stress problem this woman irritates me. No, she doesn't. You got an irritation in you that needs to be changed. You got the problem. That woman is just there to help sanctify you. Oh, this is some good stuff, David. This is some good stuff. Richard Foster said this in his best-selling book, Celebration of Discipline. Great book. I encourage you to read it. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Talking about when you start fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to hunger. And then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is actually within us. And we can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. So the next time you blow up, the next time you have a selfish temper tantrum as a grown adult, which is what that is, when you vomit all over people around you, it's because you're having an adult version temper tantrum. I hate to pop anybody's bubble. But the next time we see that, what do we do? We repent. We say, oh, that was ugly. We go to the people that we hurt. We say, you know, that wasn't anything like Jesus, and I thought I was beyond that, but obviously I still got some stuff that I gotta get out of me. I still need to get healed. Forgive me for the way I was impatient with you. See, how about this? God gave me eight children and a wife who likes to be late. She doesn't like to be, but she is. (laughs) To kill pride and impatience in me. So now when I have the temptation to get bent out of shape, I can just learn to be patient. Just saying patient. There's such a peacefulness about that word. Patient. Try it sometimes. It's really good. Patient. I know people that have heart attacks and throw the middle finger up if you went before them at a four-way stop or you didn't go fast enough. I'm like, dude, you need deliverance. I'm in your life to help you. Let me in with this. Hey, I figured this. If we got to talk about fasting, of all things, we might as well have some fun with it. Are you all having fun yet? Okay, but now I'm going to challenge the snot out of you, all right? Because it doesn't do us any good to talk about it. What I'm telling you, I've been challenging you every week to do something, not to think about it, to actually do it. Here's my double dog dare you challenge this week. I want you on one day to push away three squares, no breakfast, lunch, or dinner. (laughs) I, I just felt the Holy Spirit show up, all right? I don't want you to go on a hunger strike. I want you to spend the time that you'd spend eating or at a meal with Jesus, doing the seven other weeks of things I've been trying to teach you. And I want you to be in touch with what's coming out of you you might get a headache. That might be your body telling you that 16 cans of Coke or Mountain Dew is probably not good every day before lunch. You might be having withdrawal symptoms. You might find that you're very irritable. You're very irritable. You're actually angry and impatient and bitter as well. Sorry for the revelation. But what do you do then? You take it to the Lord. And you say, Lord, get that out of my heart. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna, you're gonna get some major revelation of, of who you are, where you're at. And this is the cool thing. God uses this as a catalyst to launch us into Christ's likeness. He uses this to pour gasoline on our affections for God. And here's what you do. When your stomach is growling, punch it in the face, say shut up, and this is what you say. My hunger for Jesus is greater than my hunger for food. My need my need for the presence of God is greater than my need for that meal. And you just say to your stomach, whoa, whoa, you just say, Stomach, you keep singing for the glory of God. <laughs> You're, you don't exist. I don't exist for you. You exist for me and for the glory of God. You're not in charge. He's in charge. You just keep singing. It's beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Bring me another. Verse 2. Bring me another verse. You you mock your flesh because your flesh is not supposed to be in charge. You're in charge. The Holy Spirit's in charge. You have self-control. You're led of the Holy Spirit. You operate in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and you're not a victim of circumstances like the Three Stooges, all right? You're not a victim of circumstance. You're a person under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just got to share this one last thing. You know, how many, any any Methodists, anybody come out of a Methodist background in this room? All right, good old Lynn, good old Methodist. How about one of the champions of Methodism? Good old John Wesley. John Wesley would not let any of his leaders hang with him, run with him, lead with him, unless they fasted two days a week. Now, you know what we would call that today? Legalism. Well, we're not legalistic at our church. Yeah, you're probably spiritually overweight and dull and boring and dry too, but that's beside the point. Because fasting has a way of sharpening your blade. If you're serious about an addiction, take it to the Lord in prayer and fasting and say, God, I'm sick of this addiction controlling my life. I'm sick of this addiction destroying my life. I'm sick of this addiction ruining the relationships that are most precious to me. God, I need you to set me free. And when your flesh is crying out for whatever that is, you just punch it back in the face and say, Shut up. You are not in charge. I'm I'm serious about this. Speak to your flesh. You are not in charge of my life. The Holy Spirit is empowering me. I'm living for Jesus Christ. I will not be mastered by anything or anyone but the Lord. You know, I had a conversation with a good brother this week. Some, some fleshly things were coming out. There was a little bit of anger, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of rebellion. And how many of you know when we're, we're rebellious, we say things like this? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said it on the inside? You might not say it, but you go this, you just said it on the inside. God heard you. But we talk like that on the inside. But here's, the, I want to tell you another revelation. There's only one person. I'm your pastor. I don't, have the, I don't have the authority to tell you how to live or what to do. Just telling you that right now. But I'm not speaking on my own behalf. There's only one person that has the authority to tell you what to do and how to live. His name is Jesus Christ. And you know what? You better listen because you're not in charge, you better listen to him, so say, pastor, how come you said that, I hope I said it, because it's in the Bible, if it's not, my opinion is not any more important than your opinion, so just ignore it, but I hope when we speak from the word of God, it's thus saith the Lord, God is the only person who can tell you how to live your life, he created you, he owns you, you belong to him, and our response is to submit and to let the spirit of the living God lead us and not be pulled back and forth. Some guys have a lust problem, man. Their head's like on a, on a swivel all the time. They're looking at stuff. looking at this. That. How do you deal with that? Kill it! Kill it! Before it kills you. I'm just telling you, it's easy to drift into complacency. That's the natural way we go. We drift to complacency you better guard your heart. I have to guard my heart. I got to guard what is mastering you. People say, well, you you know, I can drink. It's not a problem. You know, okay, well, just try stopping for a week. Oh, no, I have liberty. I can stop anytime I want. Do it. Double dog dare you. You might be able to stop anytime. Great, then fast for a week. Fast alcohol for a week. Prove it. Well, pastor, you're picking on that. Why don't you talk about coffee? Hey, good one. Yeah, good. Fast coffee for a week. (laughs) Not that! No! See, I have this theory that when Jesus was preaching in the temple and the demons manifested, that's exactly what he told them to do. (laughs) put away coffee from among you. We know who you are. All right. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying, what What is it that has you? That's the question. Unless you're so cocksure that you got it by the tail... You never know you have anything by the tail until you willingly say, you know what? I'm gonna push this aside, not just to push it aside, but I'm gonna push it aside for more of Jesus. I'm gonna push legitimate pleasures aside for maximum pleasure in God. Last comment, I think this is my third lie. I I shared it with first service. See, it irritates me. It irritates me when Pastor says last comment, and that's the fifth comment he said. It does what to you? Ain't my problem. Ain't my problem. Let me just tell you one last thing. This, this is the good news. This, this puts a smile on our face, Dave. <sighs> if you can't get happy with corn on your forehead, this will make you happy. The Lord never asks us to give up anything in terms of denying ourselves so that we get less. Whatever he asks us to release to him on the other side of that act of obedience is always more. Everybody say more. More. you never get less when you get more of God. You always get more. We need to take this term self-denial and turn it into one of the most exciting words in our vocabulary because self-denial means pushing away of the thing that wants to kill me and embracing more of God who wants to bless me. Isn't that good? Fasting is just saying, pushing away food, and I'm saying I don't want to be controlled by anything but the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing to do on a regular basis. So when you pray... When you fast. Next week, we'll talk about the third when you in Matthew 6. But go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to pray with you this morning. If you have, I want to have our leadership team come up here. If you have an addiction stronghold thing in your life that you need some freedom on, you know what? One of the greatest things you can do is just open your mouth and say, I got a problem with this. Will you pray for me? That's powerful. Confession is powerful. Bring it to the light. Let some of our leadership team stand in agreement with you, okay? Um, if you're brand new here or relatively new here, my door is open right over there. You see the light on. Please come into the office. We just want to get to know you better and connect with you. All right, we love you. We want to know you, uh, and we would love to to spend some time with you. All right. If you don't want to fast today, there is a cookie and they're waiting for you. It, it, <laughs> I'm just telling you though that that might be a sign. If you if chocolate chip cookie made you want to come see me, we're going to pray in my office for you. <laughs> all right. Let's pray, Lord. We don't want to be addicted to anything or anyone but to you and to your presence. So Lord, set us free. Let us see fasting as a powerful weapon against the enemy. And Lord, may we embrace it. May we, may we swing that sword and swing it well. And Lord, may you set us all free to love you the way that you're worthy of our love. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Hey, marriage class at four, all right? Uh, we'll see you. Have a great, great week.